This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara. Hi, Kara. And I am Lisa. And hi, Lisa. every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we talk to an incredible guest from the episode. And uh, post Thanksgiving bliss of an episode, how do you feel? Feeling good. Feeling, um, you know, I'm pumped for, uh, I'm pumped for December. I, I like, I, I'm going home for the holidays. I'm excited. Yeah. Traveling with two kids would get me really pumped too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, you know what? Speaking of pumped, I'm not pumping anymore. So that will make me traveling so much easier. I didn't like, know that. To, You're cutting off oh, the yeah. tits. You're done. I'm on, the, my boobs are closed for business, baby. Yeah. We're done. I made it to six months with this kid. And I'm done. What was the last moment? What was the moment you said, I'm gonna, it's enough? I honestly, like, I pumped for like 20 minutes and like only, I only got like three ounces. And I was like, what am I doing? That's not even like a one meal for this kid. I was like, I'm done. I'm just, I, and I had to go to New York uh, for a little 48-hour trip. And I was like, I'm not bringing all my pump shit just for a 48-hour trip. And I was like, I'm just done. So it's fine. I mean, he's already eating some solids and he's on, he's been on formula for a while. It's not, it's not. 
I just want everyone who's listening, who's a mom, to not feel that pressure of like, you got to get to a year. Everybody says you got to get to a year. You absolutely don't have to get to a year. You actually don't have to fucking breastfeed at all if you don't want to. It only works if it works for both of you. That's what my mom says, and that's what I believe. Anyway. um, And she's a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, a doctor and a mother of six kids. So I wanted to tell you, speaking of my family members, my brother, who's also a doctor, was visiting me. And he was like, well, I've been listening to the podcast. I see Lisa's very into whippets these days. (laughs) Only have done it once. I just can't wait to do it again. And I want to pick a celebratory moment so I don't make it a regular thing because I do love it. Well, I think you have the exact right. You have the exact right idea about it because I was basically like, Yeah, what did Colin say? Well, I was like, Colin, what's the deal with it? Like, what happens? And he goes well, you can have some problems if you do them like habitually, like all the time, all the time, like anything, nothing is good in abundance, you know, like you can't, everything in moderation. So then he texted me a couple of days later and was like, I just um, saw a patient who was a young guy with spinal dysfunction due to nitrous oxide abuse, AKA whippets. So he goes, it does happen. Abuse. But this is somebody doing it abusively. Yeah. Yeah. I have no reason. My brain is important to me. I have no reason to get addicted to whippets, but that's why I'm waiting. Like, that's why I keep talking about it where it's like, am I just going to do whippets on Christmas? Am right. I going to do them on New Year's? Am I going to wait till Martin <laughs> Luther King Day? Like, when am I going to do it? Because I don't want it to become a regular thing at all. Right. No, and I don't, I'm not worried about you. I don't think I'm going to need to have a whippet intervention with you at any point. No, no. Um, there's more problems that I, there's more things that I love more. Like weed and cheese. Okay, wait, though. Can we also move on to a totally different topic? Of course, please. Recently, I texted you that I was at a very small 20-person party with the drummer from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) And you were all, I thought, like, the second I saw him, I just saw your tattoo in my mind. (laughs) No, and he looks like Will Ferrell, famously. That's how I recognized him. (laughs) I go, who is the guy that's famous that looks like Will Ferrell? And in my mind, I go, it's the guy from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, my God. So did you chat with him about drumming or what? Uh, No. No, he was like playing ping pong with his kid. I wasn't going to be like, hi. (laughs) And it seemed like nobody knew who he was. So I was like, cool. But I also remembered that my friend from high school is his niece. So I could have had an easy in if I wanted to talk to him. Wow, yeah. He's really cool. Drummers are usually really cool. And I remember one of the documentaries, they were like working on an album and all the rest of the band lived in a house and he would ride his motorcycle home every night. He's like, I'm not staying yeah, with you guys. <laughs> he, he seemed really cool. He was like dressed like a really cool dad. And I was like, wait, that's not Will Ferrell. That's the famous guy that looks like Will Ferrell. And I figured Hell, it out. Yes, I love that. Oh, I was talking to, um, there's a comedian, uh, Jenna Friedman. Yeah. And her husband is a musician. And I couldn't believe it. We were talking and he's in Taco Bell commercials. I was like, I I can't be more impressed. Nothing will impress me more. His music is? Yeah, he's in a band and um, they Taco Bell has licensed his music time and time again. He's like in Taco Bell commercials. He also had like dinner with Paul Simon. I was like, I don't care. I have no, I don't care about this. Cause I was like, have you ever met your heroes? I was like, who are your heroes? Have you met them? Like I was, I was bothering him for sure. I was asking lots of questions. Oh, I think Paul Simon lives in my hometown, but not, I, not, you're not impressed. The Taco Bell got me excited. <laughs> I'm a new convert. I mean, I've been going to Taco Bell more than I'd like to admit lately. Cause I get, I just didn't know ever that they had vegetarian stuff. So I get the black bean crunch wrap supreme. That thing is good. 
Oh, yeah. And you can do t- potatoes, too. If you can stuff it with potatoes if you don't want the beans. Yeah. Or add potatoes. I, I mean, I really love a cheesy gordita crunch. I wonder, with potato, I bet that's delicious. Ooh, okay, let's go try that. Try sometime. a cheesy gordita crunch. I'm not, I'm trying not to do cheese. I can't keep, okay. I, I like ruined myself uh, in New York. I had too much fun. It was like bagel and cheeses, Philly cheesesteaks. And then in between shows, I had to go home and fart for hours and like change outfits. <laughs> I was like, I can't do it. I can't. I, I guess at it's age. Because I also thought I had all these cancerous moles and I went to the dermatologist and they were like, these are not moles at all. It's this thing. And it just happens with age. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I can't eat dairy and I'm getting weird non-cancerous brown spots. I don't know what to, I don't know. Age sucks. I did read that um, 34 is when you, like one of the ages where you age the most within the year or something. What? Yeah. I don't know. That I'm was the upset. year I got married, and I think I look like a little spring daisy at my wedding. You do. You had a note. Yeah, you looked great at your wedding. And I loved your <laughs> dress. I know you had to pick it up because it was falling off your boobs, but I, I liked it. Thank you. I liked the look a lot. But anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, Taco Bell's amazing. I was like, I have a Taco Bell bikini. I'm like, nothing will impress me more. I'm like, what, you that went to the so Grammys? Funny. I don't give a shit. <laughs> was, he say, was she saying it kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of like not that cool, but like he has some music. No, he was Taco there. He was there. Oh, and then you were like, what? <laughs> yeah, I like lost it. And then everything else he said, like any famous person or cool show or anything, it's like Taco Bell was ringing. <laughs> You're like, so do you get free Taco Bell? Tell me everything. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've been ordering frozen vegan uh, burritos that I keep in the freezer. And that's what I've been doing for my fix because I'm just going to try not to eat cheese. Even though my name is Glitter Cheese. I mean, it is a part of my spirit. I mean, it is a brand. Yeah. It's tough. (sighs) Also, so upsetting. I've been enjoying Ink Masters the past few weeks. And I got messages that one of the hosts is a fucking creep, blackface, all this stuff. And fuck. Why are they all bad? Why is everyone bad? Yeah. But he was married to Kat Von D, who also had weird Nazi shit. So I shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have known. Red flags abound. Um, all right. Well, we have an awesome episode. So should we just get started? Well, yeah, I also okay, the episode from a few weeks ago of SVU, the new one. Did you watch the one where the like he was mummifying people? Yeah. Did we not talk about this? We never talked about it because I'm always a little bit behind, but like that was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. It was truly crazy. Like And the guy seemed too dumb to get away with those crimes. Yeah, I thought that. It was really cool how horrific it was. And he had like a kill room. Like it was very Dexter, like all of that, like the full like plastic wrapped kill room. And and then I was just kind of like, oh, it's this Jamoke. Like I kind of just wanted it to be like a different ending, but it was very, very freaky. And people were writing us being like, is this based on anything? And I got to look it up and see because it's fucking terrifying. Um, I hope women being mummified is not real. Please don't be real. If you think nobody's been mummified, girl, you crazy. Please. People people been mummified for sure. Also, thank you for the rec for my doctors. It's so cool going to American doctors. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I was raised going to Russian doctors and they're a mess. Like (laughs) nothing's on time. You're in the waiting room for hours. You don't know what's up. Like at my appointment time, I was brought in the back. Like, I couldn't believe it. Wow. I could not believe it. It's a nice office, right? Um, but yeah, it was an incredible office. It's just like, it felt clean. And they give you a mask. They didn't trust your own mask. Yeah, all the Cedars places. Yeah, What's yeah. up with that? But why? 
Because I think they're like, if we just give everybody one, then we don't have to have arguments with the people that come in with like the fucking gator masks on because those are not like compliant or people that come in with like a loose ass mask that's falling down. You don't even have to deal with anything. You're just like, here's a new mask. Everyone puts a new mask on, you know? Yeah, it was very respectful. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I go to your dermatologist now, the dentist I go to. Ah! I'm, d- I'm going to all your professions. He's a love. I love that dentist. Good for you. You don't have to go to an endocrinologist. I had to <laughs> find my own. Hey, I'm sure someday I will. Um, all right, guys. Let's kick off today's episode. We got a good one for you. Okay. So today we are doing the episode Poison. Season 5, episode 24. Which makes me think, was this a season finale? No. No, it was the second to last. Okay, wow. 25 up season. Amazing. SVU. Um, So I would say this is one of my top favorite episodes. I probably say that a lot, but this is a shining, suspenseful, cool moment where the little guys win. This is one I always remember because it makes me so furious. Like, I want to kill Tom Skerritt in most of this episode. So I always remember it. Yeah, and it's wild. We're working on this, and recently, you know, there was a case of that judge uh, sending all those kids to, you know, there's just bad judges out there. No one, stop making people feel important. Power changes your brain. There's like science, and it makes you fucked up, and, you know, it's not good. That's why teen stars act like maniacs. They're just like, power, too soon. Fucks your brain. So we start out, um, it's the episode starts on a child at the hospital. So this isn't good. And we hear like voices off the camera and it's like, oh, what if she survives? Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's chats. There's chats happening. There's a blonde woman in purple <laughs> holding a baby and is very, very distraught. Olivia with some exposition says, uh, were you with your niece when she got sick? And the woman goes, no, her brother called. Alexis wasn't breathing. So we know that's the baby. And he was going nuts and asked to meet at the hospital. So we find out this child that's in the hospital, it's Alexis. She was adopted from Romania last year at age three. And then this woman's brother and wife had twin babies and they were born right after the adoption. And I think there's one more child in the family. But Oh, I was just going to say, this is kind of like a um, phenomenon that happens all the time when people adopt and then they have a baby. Yes. And this happened to my one of my best friends. I learned that from Sex in the City with Charlotte. Oh, right, right, right. So uh, I'm glad to confirm that that is correct, that that does happen. Yeah, like my friend and her brother are only 10 months apart because they adopted her brother and then they got pregnant like right away. Damn, yeah, our bodies are wild. Mm. That's why you have to tell yourself nice things and not stress yourself out because our bodies listen to what we tell that. Okay, so um, I was really impressed with this scene because it was like so much exposition and information, but in such a natural way. So I just um, was really impressed because usually it's a little too obvious, but I thought they nailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, the aunt is right on it and is like, they called you because they think she was poisoned, right? And uh, so we get the title of the episode before the credits even. I mean, of course, this is a top 10 episode. And Benson has like a Florence Henderson reimagined hair if she was hosting What Not to Wear. <laughs> That's what I got. I don't know if that makes sense at all. If you think she looks like something else, let us know. 
So without skipping a beat, she's like, the sister-in-law did it. The mom fucking did it. So that's what the aunt believes. And so we have a suspect and an accusation before the credits. Again, jam-packed this episode. I just don't understand, like, how the aunt ended up bringing in all the children. Like, I know, I get we need her for the exposition. Why does she have all the children at the hospital? So the brother called her and was like, meet me at the hospital. So she came to meet all the kids because there's so many fucking kids everywhere. So I think she came with everybody. Okay. But she probably wanted to be there because... She knows her sister-in-law sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there is yeah. a Dr. Michael Baden HBO autopsy episode where someone was writing to him being like, I know his wife killed my brother. Like, I know it. The death certificate said accident. So Michael Baden found evidence and like they were able to put the sister away. So sometimes in your gut, you just kind of know what's going on. Yeah. And you know, siblings marry weird people all the time. So not my sister. She did great. (laughs) Elon's taking me to the airport tonight. Okay. And bringing me an edible. So this is good news. You have a good brother-in-law for sure. I have good in-law brothers and sister-in-laws too. Yeah. It's like, what if he sucked and was poisoning my nephew? (laughs) Like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Not good. But the aunt's like, listen, this bitch is so cruel to Alexis. Never a kind word. Never a kiss or hug. She dotes on the twins and Katie, um, but she sees this girl as a burden. And Katie is seven and loves Alexis, so hopefully she'll have some scoop for us. So we meet little Katie. Oh, wow, she's wearing purple. Interesting. So She's really cute. She's very cute, blonde, pigtails, and she's about to get kid interrogated by Stabler. Lucky girl. So she was watching SpongeBob, and Alexis was in the corner in the kitchen because she goes there when she's bad, and she has to, like count to 10 over and over and over again because she wrote on the wall with crayon. So that's where we are. And then we find out from the girl that she drank the soapy water. The mom gave her a pail to wash the wall and the mom put the sponge in her mouth and like Alexis was coughing and she just kept putting soapy water into her child's mouth. And then Alexis threw up and she wanted to sit down, but the mom wouldn't let her and made her stand. And then the girl fell and couldn't get up. So this is not good news. Um, The mom and dad, they run over and Katie runs into her mom's arms and she has a side part, the mom with a low ponytail and a brown suede jacket, some gold hoops. And the guy looks like generic business. If you look up clip art business guy, that's what this guy is. (laughs) Benson says, we're going to go down to the station and the mom's like, we got to get the kids home and Stabler, sexy, sexy, more mad than anyone. If you're not nice to your children... You better watch out because Stabler's coming. And he says, if I have anything to do with it, you will never see those kids again. And so she's under a fucking arrest for attempted murder. Yeah, it's true. Like, Maloney's not like a fan of rapists, but if you fucking hurt a kid, Maloney wants to, like, he burns through you with his eyes, his yeah. beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> God, just like such a, I'm always like, God, our listeners are so horny. And now I'm like, I guess, like mother, like daughter. I'm feeling (laughs) very horny. So whatever. Um, We get an arrest and the credits begin. So let's get this episode party started. We're back. And she's like, listen, I love my daughter. And Wendy's hated me. Don't believe that nonsense. She's like lucky to say this. And they're like, actually, no, Katie said that. Is Katie a dumb bitch too? Or what's up with that? And it's like, no, your daughter ratted you out. We get a defense attorney showing up, Barry Bostwick, a.k.a. Oliver Gates. Yes. Um, We see him sometimes, but we never really take the time to celebrate him because we hate him, you know? But this motherfucker's been working. He was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, Barry Bostwick is. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Spin City. He was in 145 episodes. That's cool. 
Oh, and then in his IMDb, like in the credits, it said um, young guy Christian, but I thought it said young gay Christian. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but it's not, <laughs> it's not the show that we wanted. But if you have Barry Boss, you're rich, okay? You're, you can afford his services. The mom gets defensive, of course, and is like, I'm a good mother. I would never do anything like this. And then we pan to the husband who's being interrogated by Munch and Finn. And he's defending his wife. But it means nothing because he works all day. So he doesn't actually see what's going on. But he's like, nah. Like, if my wife wanted to poison her, why would we then rush her to the hospital? And they're like, we're more worried about your wife, not you. Like, we're talking about the wife and that your sister, Wendy, says your wife is bad news. And he goes, Wendy's jealous of my wife. That's like a fact. And then he slips of the tongue and he goes, and my wife loved Alexis. And Munch is like, you mean loves, loves, right? She's not dead. Or did you want her dead? What's going on here? Um, And so Stabler and Benson join Novak Huang. And Huang says they pumped out two cups of detergent out of Alexis's stomach. Yeah, that's like not a Tide Pod. That's like a full, like two cups. That's a lot of fucking detergent. I understand parenting is hard. So let's say you, something happens, you crack and you put the soap in the kid's mouth. That's a second. That's two seconds, maybe 10 seconds. That's not 10 cups or two cups. Two cups. Two cups. I, yeah, (laughs) I like how I exaggerated immediately. (laughs) You made it worse. (laughs) (laughs) so they get into like a little minor moment of like is this kid even reliable you know I've been doing this longer than you a kid in court is hard like what's gonna happen and Huang's like you know what I'll talk to the kid and I'll see if she knows the difference between a lie and a truth Um, and I always love the little games they play with the children so Huang's like what color is this and she says purple So they're coloring and talking about lies, truths, promises. Um, She has two braids and, you know, she knows all these things. They're doing some church talks. God, what's happening? Like, so Huang's on this. And I think the kid knows the difference between a lie and a truth. Um, So that we meet the judge that's going to be in this case. So it's Bostwick, Novak, and it's Judge Oliver Taft, a.k.a. Tom Skerritt, a person working for decades. Decades. You know, he's Shelby's father in Steel Magnolias, if you're a fan. And I've always loved him. I've never seen Steel Magnolias, but Candy Lawrence used to have a joke where she'd put, like, start drinking beer or liquid and then shake her mouth and go, drink your juice, Shelby, drink your juice. And, like, um, all the liquids would go everywhere. And I loved the joke. I don't even know what the joke was, but she was spit liquids and I loved it. Drink your juice. (laughs) Juice is better. Oh, I love that movie so much. You got to watch it. It's, like, filled with icons. Like blush and, yeah, blush and bashful. My colors are blush and bashful. Yeah. How much do I know from just a candy joke? Yeah. Yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> so the lawyers are debating with uh, Judge Scarrett, um, and they're like debating if the kid is credible. Okay, Judge Taft, I'm going to go back from Taft to Scarrett. Both are really fun <laughs> names to say. <laughs> President Taft's the one that was too big for the bathtub and broke the tub. Is that him? Uh, maybe. Yeah, Hannah's Hannah, nodding. Hannah's nodding, yeah. <laughs> if I know one president fact, it's the guy who is <laughs> broke a bathtub. <laughs> okay, so Judge Taft goes, listen, my court, my rules... Get the little kid in here, and I'm going to figure out what's up, okay? I'm going to decide if she's competent or not for my fucking courtroom because it's my courtroom and not yours. But also, it's like, it's not yours either. You're borrowing it from the city. I think my tax dollars. Like, that court is more my court than your fucking court. (laughs) And he also lets Casey know she better be dressed appropriate tomorrow. And what that means is in a skirt by 9 a.m. And that fucking sucks. That's annoying. Someone told me to wear a skirt. 
I mean, I like wearing skirts. I don't know why I'm acting like this, but I don't. I don't want to be told to wear it. But you don't want to be told it. to do it. No, it's like. No. And so, you know, we're getting a picture started out. It's his courtroom. You wear a dress. You know, he's a piece of shit. So he starts questioning the little girl and he's not giving her a chance. Like he wants her to be thrown off the case. It is really fucked up. He's asking super confusing questions. It's like he's trying to trip her up and it really sucks. And I don't know why he's so against her. I think he's just a piece of shit. And like I said, power dilutes the brain. Um, I've said this time and time again, but like uh, there's studies and power makes your brain rotten. So he's talking about right hands, left hands, Bibles. She's about to cry. She runs away from him as fast as she can. And Novak's like, um, I'm sorry. To be fair, I was confused by those questions. And he goes, I wouldn't go around telling people that. And I do love that interaction. So now there's a meeting and there's going back and forth about the kid's testimony and if the cops course them. And it's just like very annoying because we know what's going on. Um, And so we are now on a hearing with Stabler on the stand in front of Judge Skerritt. And Novak's like, did you force the kid to say anything about the mom and the soap and the throat and anything? And he goes, no, she brought it up on her own. I expressed no opinions. And that's true. We all saw it. We saw it. Okay. They're also taping the little kid interactions. They're not just letting a cop and a child interact in that room. There's video footage. No one fucking forced anything out of anybody. But also she talked to Huang too. So that's like two people. I don't know why they never bring that up, that she talked to Huang also, who's like a certified psychiatrist for the fucking FBI. Yeah, and it's like, you're a product of the government, Scarrett. So like, if you want respect, why wouldn't you respect other people working within the, like, the government? I don't know. It's just, I mean, we'll find out, obviously. So back and forth conversation, it's all going fine. And then the defense is like, um, didn't you tell her that she would never see her kids again if you had anything to do with it? And Novak's like, okay, this again, Stabler? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and Stabler's like, that's out of context, but it wasn't. So, so basically, there's just like a lot of situations, but Stabler didn't hate the mom first. He got the story from the kid and then formed his opinion. So, you know, there's a stunt happening. So Stabler goes, listen, I know how to conduct an interview. I don't need this judgment. And I had a, I had a moment recently with like a younger but more successful monetarily. Like this kid's selling out, but it's like you've done, you know, you, you haven't done comedy a long time. And um, there's a difference between um, selling tickets and having a craft that you've honed for over a decade. But I was talking about how someone was annoying me um, and being rude. And this young comedian says... Um, I mean, don't you think they could have just been joking? And the way I looked at him, I go, I think I could tell the difference between a joke and not. Don't you think? And <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, <laughs> I think, I think he realized what he did. And um, <laughs> oh my god, uh, if you all could see Lisa's face right now, you would not want to be on the receiving <laughs> end of that comment. Oh my god! I was like, bro, I could tell if someone's being Come a dick on. or kidding. Yeah, but it was a it was a fun moment. Obviously, tensions are high in the courtroom. Um, Stabler has been disrespected. His words are being switched around. This woman is poisoning her child. The judge is telling Casey to wear a skirt. What the fuck's about to happen? So as Stabler walks out of the courtroom, he gets what's up, and under his breath, he goes, "This is a joke." And the judge goes, what the fuck did you say? And Stabler Louder goes, it's a fucking joke. And Scarrett's like, nobody cares what you think. And Stabler's like, fuck you. Obviously not. Um, all these fucks, all these fucks are Lisa's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Stabler goes, you think I bullied a seven-year-old girl? Like, that's what you... And then, you know, they're fighting and... uh 
end, it's like, that's what you did, Judge. Like, you did what you're accusing Maloney of. That's why you're so suspicious. You fucking bullied this child. Stabler wouldn't do that. Um, so Stabler gets put in contempt and Elliot is off to a cell and he smiles like, oh my God. And Novak looks very, very angry. Um, but she bails his ass out of the cell and they have a back and forth about ego. Like I meant, you know, sometimes, sometimes you feel threatened, um, and outbursts and loyalty and yada, yada. And then we have Marlo Thomas. Hello. I've been to some Ms. Foundation events with her. I'm sure she does not remember. Okay. So what is her job in this episode? So she's actually the one that bailed Elliot out and was able to drop the contempt charge. She is Judge Mary Clark, and she's been in four episodes of SVU. Um, She tells Elliot, stop acting like a child, and tells Novak, play the game with this judge and do your job. Novak says he's an arrogant prick and hates young attorneys, and Marla's like, okay, well, pick your battles, all right? Winning a trial is more important than um, wearing a skirt. And they have a nice relationship because Novak clerked for her, and that, so that's how they all know each other. So we jump to court. Um, do you have any mentors? Mentors? Not really. Okay. No. All right. Do you? I guess Dave Attell, but yeah, I don't know if he, I don't know if he wants to be my mentor, but I <laughs> I, I forced myself upon him. <laughs> but I yeah, I don't know. I think I have hero people I look up to, but I don't know if anyone's take it like a mentor. But I just watched the Seinfeld mentor, and um, unfortunately, one of our friends I saw online, her mentor recently died, and I was like, do I need to get a mentor? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just never have. I mean, I, yeah, definitely have had people I look up to and I ask for advice, but I can't think of any of them right now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Judge Mary Clark is a good mentor to have, but is um, our queen, what's our queen's name? Judith Light. Do you think she's jealous? Do you think Judith Light, <laughs> like, I'm your fucking mentor? She seems more like Stephanie March's mentor. She's like a cabinet mentor. Okay. And then Novak's got Marlo. This is... Oh God, I love this show. Okay. <laughs> so we jump to court. It's April 19th, which is my sister's birthday. So that's exciting. And the Oklahoma Important. bombing, if you're, you know, into that. <laughs> 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 a big day for many people. Go on. <laughs> well, no, it sucks because Oklahoma bombings on my sister's birthday and then Princess Diana died on my birthday. And I was like, why are we so cursed? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. So now we have some court games again. Uh, basically, the defense is like, we want to waive a jury trial and just have the judge decide. And Novak's like, no, because there's an advantage with your perceived favor. And of course he gets offended. He goes, no, there's more risk to the defendant to waive the jury usually. You know what I mean? Like, it's one guy's opinion. So if mama murder is down for the risk, I'm down and everyone's down. So no jury selection. Go fuck yourself. And so Novak's upset, obviously, and Scarrett and her make eye contact and they are their enemies. So she says uh, the people request that he recuse himself from the trial on the grounds of there is a clear bias in this case. And the next scene is a masterclass in acting. Diane Neal and Scarrett just like murder the scene. Uh, judges are trained to examine their biases and I've decided that I can judge this case. And he is satisfied that he is partial. So your request is denied and we'll see you in the morning for trial. So he gets to decide if he's biased or not in this case, which... Doesn't make sense, but 
Um, Judge Mary Clark and Novak meet outside in a very New York fun moment. That makes me, of course, wistful. And Marlo's like, you asked an egomaniac to recuse himself? What's wrong with you? She says that him saying that we are reaching with the attempted murder charge is fucked. She's like, what the hell is that? So that's true. There is a bias. If you're like, are you sure about that charge? You already have an opinion that it's too strict. Mm -hmm. So Marlo says, maybe it's a tactic, maybe not. But she goes, listen, this is a judge. I've been a judge. We know what's up. He's just trying to plead this case out, lower the charge, make his life easier. He's just thinking about himself, like relax. It has nothing to do with like the specificity of the case. It's just like that, you know, he's trying to get a day off. He's trying to get a summer Friday. Um, so <laughs> Novak wants to take this further and Mar Marlo is like, okay, you want to publicly humiliate him? Have fun. So Novak meets Stabler in a sunlit, busy hallway and is like, fuck this noise. Let's plead her out. And he goes, no, 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 no. Look what I found. She tried to give Alexis back. So six months after adopting Alexis, she tried to give her back. And she's like, let's see him try to throw this out. You know, like this is definitely a challenge and it shows that this woman did not want to be a mother of this child. And it's only now been 24 hours. What a busy, busy day. Do these people not nap? Are they sleeping five hours a day? Are they eating? Like, are they taking care of themselves? It is only, it's, but it is 420. So if you are um, a partaker in drugs, you know, hit, hit a bowl. And um, that's exciting. <laughs> hit the vape pen. Suck on that bong. It's 420 in court. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mom is on trial. And uh, she's saying how she's like overwhelmed with all these kids and she's embarrassed. She tried to give her back, but she thought she could have a better life with someone else. She says, I'm sorry I couldn't keep my eye on her. Um, I do love her. And I'm sorry she was acting kind of weird after the detergent, but she had a stomach bug. So I thought the puke was just part of that. And then it's like, but didn't your daughter turn blue? <laughs> and like this girl passed out and turned blue. And the mom still waited for the husband to go to the hospital. And for me, I, if knock on wood, I was with any loose child who turned blue and passed out. I wouldn't wait for anybody. I would start doing chest compressions and calling 911. Like, I don't mm -hmm. understand what's going on. I mean, I'm first aid certified. Maybe not everyone should do chest compressions, but it's just weird. Um, so Novak stands up ready for war. She's on a mission, and this is the sexiest we've seen Novak. Okay. She's like, wait, so you said Alexis was fine all day? Well, a doctor from the hospital said that she was in excruciating pain for hours. And Novak brings up another good point and is like, if you knew that she had ingested cleaning solution, why not take her to the hospital right away? Clearly, I think it's a good point. I made it earlier. And it's like, better safe than sorry. What are you doing? And Novak's like, were you just scared they were going to be able to tell that you were abusing your daughter? And then there's a sustained objection and Novak did not like that. And Skerritt says, listen, this is obviously an accident and this is sad, but come on, guys, relax. No big deal. Um, even though there will be permanent damage to your daughter, he says, I know you love your daughter. I believe you didn't force her to drink poison. This is a tragedy and not guilty on all charges. And Stabler's like, what? And the mom and dad kiss on the lips for a really long time. <laughs> it is a weird, like, French kiss for uh, you just got acquitted for murdering, our, attempted murder on our daughter. Yeah. Oh, God. It's like, we want more fucking in the show, but not like this. <laughs> not like this. <laughs> so it's weird because it's like, it's kind of feels just like the only reason Scarrett, I'm sorry, Judge Taft, 
likes this couple is just because they're like a nice white young couple that seem proper, right? Like he doesn't have any other reason to be like biased towards them. It's like, you know that if this family was like poor or this was a single mom with like a sexual history or like this was a black family, like he would totally not be ruling this way. Well, we'll see, Kara, won't we? Oh, I guess we will. (laughs) Uh, Novak and Stable. And then it's also like, I wonder if he was going extra hard just to fuck with Novak too. Like he's annoyed with Novak at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Novak and Stabler meet up outside and Novak reveals she wants him off the bench and she's going after him. And she goes, if this is justice, I don't want this career. Love her. So Marlo is like in a very high fancy building um, in an incredibly body-hugging skirt suit. And she, you know, she needs a favor. Novak's been going through all of his decisions in the past 10 years and they suck And Marlo's like, this is a waste of time. And then Novak goes, no, look, there was another child poison case. And that kind of piques Marlo's interest. And she's like, okay, fine, let me see it. So basically, this the case involves um, Silvo. Um, So this person, Silvo, takes the daughter to the hospital and then gets arrested for poisoning with antifreeze and waves a jury trial. But Taft disallows an expert witness that would say that the daughter has a genetic disorder disease, not poison. And then the lawyers requested a recusal and that didn't work. And now Silvo is doing 25 to life. Very similar cases. So it's like, come on, help me, help me. Get this commissioner judge investigation guy. And Marlo's like, if you bring me proof and he did something wrong, I'll be your ride or die. Okay, I will go, I'll, I will do this with you if you give me the evidence that I need. So now Casey's doing a walk and talk with the lawyer from the case of uh, this poisoning that happened. And she was looking and he's like, I quit criminal law because of him. He wrongfully convicted my client and I hated that motherfucker and he like ruined my life and I couldn't get a job anywhere. And he's like, I found this expert that believed that the antifreeze thing was wrong and it was a disease, but he needed to have a test done. And since he was a court appointed attorney, the judge in the case who happened to be Taft got to approve funding and he denied it and said it was junk science. So Novak goes, oh, well, now he's a crusader for mothers. And he goes, oh, let me guess. Carrie, you were right. Rich June Cleaver type with a husband in the picture. And so he has a class bias and like what a good mother is. I miss this whole part. I miss really? this whole part. I didn't mean to like, yeah, I, I just missed the, him saying this. I must have like gotten a glass of water. I just missed that part. <laughs> I saw this talk with the lawyer, but I missed the June Cleaver part and all that. No, yeah. So you were right. Well, no. So you were on it. So he goes, yeah, there was a class bias, the good mother thing. You know, we find out this uh, former mother was like poor as fuck, uneducated, no dad, and Scarrett thought she was a slut and didn't hide it. And it also aligns with his ideas of like wanting a woman to wear skirts to court. We talk mm. about this, like the virgin Madonna whore. Like you want a woman to be how you think a woman is. And if you do not fit my interpretation of what a good women is, you suck and you belong in jail. So that's that. Um, And he tried to recuse, scare it, badmouthed him all over town. So he hasn't been able to work. And Novak's like, great. We have the same enemy. File the paperwork for me and let's get this guy down. And this man's like, LOL, no way. Thanks. Uh, Thank you, but not interested. So then he brings up a really good point. And he goes, instead of fucking around with Taft, why don't you try to get Rosalind Silvo out of jail? Go get that bitch. Like, help her. So I do like where this guy's coming from, where it's like, instead of playing these games, your ego games, because Novak's having an ego about this too. And instead of like going and getting this judge off the bench, why don't we get Rosalind Silvo, who's been wrongfully convicted 
out of jail. So we start to focus on that. So back at the precinct, Benson's telling the crew about the Rosalind Silvo case. Basically, in 1993, she showed up in the ER with her one-year-old daughter, Christine. The baby was vomiting and couldn't breathe, and there were found high levels of this chemical that's in antifreeze, and the baby died, and she was arrested. She was also pregnant during this, and she had to have her baby in jail, and the baby is still in foster care. Also, a twist. There was no antifreeze ever found in her home. So at the Emmy confirmed what the hospital said. And Cragen is like, no one looked into this genetic disease. Like, what is going on? And Novak says that there was some cousin in the family who allegedly had died of this disease, but Taft would not let the evidence in. So they couldn't find the dad and they couldn't do the tests and they couldn't do all this. So it's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Lots of work to do, team. So they have to work. So now we're at um, Hudson University, our favorite um, rape college. And... (laughs) (laughs) Rape college. Our number one place to get assaulted in New York's... What if Time Out did that? The top (laughs) 10 universities to get groped at. Okay. Um, So, okay. So now it's the 21st of April when they go to Hudson. So it's only been three days. So all of this has happened in three days. Really fast. So this doctor at Hudson says maybe this baby could have had MMA. Um, it's when your body lacks an enzyme, something with protein. And I watched this scene three times and I have no clue what they were saying. So I'm going to talk about it later anyway. Perfect. <laughs> so the lab found ethylene glycome. And basically it's something that's used in antifreeze and photography. But MMA is this disease and it produces this enzyme. So old tests might think it's antifreeze, but there's technology now that can tell the difference between the disease and a poisoning. And so we go to the prison to meet the mom behind the bars. And it's Becky from Roseanne, the OG one, Alicia Gorenson, an icon, a queen, and a legend. Do you have a thought? Original Becky. I was just excited to see her. I was like, original Becky. Yeah. Yeah. And she wildly in Sex and the City played um, like a surrogate who was going to give Charlotte and Harry a baby, but then changed her mind. And they were like, well, why did you go along with this meeting? And they were like, we had just never been to New York. And so she plays like a poor mother very well. I guess, because yeah. in Sex in the City and SVU playing poor mothers, that's pretty fun. And I think, didn't she have a child in Roseanne too? I think so. Yeah. I don't remember whether it's her or new Becky gets a kid, but <laughs> Becky has a kid, I feel like. But then old Becky came back. It was like really wild. Yeah, like isn't old Becky on the Connors right now? Yeah, and new yeah. Becky was on Scrubs. So she made her multi-millet, so she doesn't have to be work. I mean, I'm sure everyone likes to work. It's their passion, but. They're all, all the Beckys are doing good. And Darlene, no big deal. I did get to audition in front of um, the actress who plays Darlene recently during the pandemic on Zoom. But. Sarah Gilbert, Sarah Gilbert, an, an additional icon. I mean, the only female member of the Pussy Posse. <laughs> yeah, you you love that. Huge, fact. huge. <laughs> you bring that up a lot. I love bringing that up. <laughs> So whatever, Becky's here, we get it. And she's in jail and she's like, I've just been waiting for somebody to figure this out. But she's like, it's like she found some really good books and um, religion or something in jail. She's like chill as fuck. Um, but they say, okay, slow down. <laughs> and so they have some discussions. She mentions, you know, um, her 10-year-old daughter who's out and, you know, she misses, 
She misses her kids. She like wants to be a mother. She is actually a good mother. And this is why biases and even if it's unchecked biases fuck up lives so much. So anyways, the kid used to visit her daughter, Diana, but she's like, this isn't no place for a kid. I didn't want her to visit me that often. So that's like a caring mother who doesn't want like her kid to show up to jail. So Rosalind said like, Christine must have died from the disease because she's dead. And I don't know, like maybe I wasn't paying attention. And so she's not defensive. She's like open to the idea that she might have killed her kid, but she knows she didn't poison her kid. So she's like, everyone was really nice to me until the test came back. And then it was all about antifreeze and poisoning. And I was like, wait, what? I didn't do this to my baby. And they're like, they arrested me and they were taking my mug shots as my daughter died. And it was a whirlwind. So Stabler asked permission to exhume the body to find proof to get her out of jail. And she cries and thinks about her sweet baby. But she's like, yeah, go test the baby. So we got lucky. Melinda Warner is on the case and she found the goods. And the baby for sure had MMA. Um, And there's lots of science. And what's great is I was a little distracted. Like Melinda did keep talking about more science and all the proof, but there was just like a little baby covered in a restaurant napkin cloth. And it was just weird thinking. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a real baby, but I just didn't like the little, the little dead baby. Okay. Yeah. Great prop work. I would say a great (laughs) Halloween decoration. I did not love it. So, yeah, so the baby, uh, the exhumed body, there's some crystals in her head, and it's consistent with antifreeze poisoning, but it's not. And the hospital treated the baby with an ethanol drip, which is the right thing to do for antifreeze poisoning, but it is the wrong thing to do with someone with MMA. And so it made the crystals appear in the brain. And that's why all this happens. So Novak is waiting outside for Marlo to come out. So um, Marlo's like, oh, great, Casey Novak again. And Casey's like, no, it's the judge's fault. Rosalind is innocent. And we need to get Judge Scarrett off the fucking bench. And Marlo calls him a <laughs> son. What? Because <laughs> it's Scarrett? I just like Judge Scarrett. <laughs> uh, Marlo calls him a son of a bitch and an embarrassment to the bench. And then she agrees to defend Rosalind in court. So Marlo's like, I got to file a motion. And Casey takes out the thickest stack of papers I've ever seen and says, I already did it for you. And it's like, okay, are you on Adderall? It's a full QED report. Like, it's so thick. (laughs) And this is only, now what is this, four days? Yeah. So we're four days deep and she has a whole 140-page document ready. I thought the same thing. They need to do a cocaine episode so we find out how everyone is getting their work done. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm like, the squad has the same dealer. They all use the same guy. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think I don't think they would partake in drugs. I don't. Maybe Ice <laughs> sometimes while he's like I bet Ice is an edible while he like plays video games, but I don't see yeah, Craigan's sober. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh let us know what <laughs> drugs you think. Let us know how much coke you guys think uh Stabler and Benson are doing <laughs> on the regular. <laughs> Let us know who you think is doing the most amount of drugs. Uh, Marlo's outfit in court is incredible. It's black with white small stripes going down the shoulders and a gold necklace with like pearls spaced out in it. It's a... She's rich. She's rich. (laughs) So Scarrett walks into the courtroom just like um, like he's coming to watch. He's not on the bench or anything for this case. It's actually Honorable Judge Louis. I never know how to say her name. L-O-I-S? Louise. Lois. 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 Lois Preston. It's like Raleigh, rally. It's like fucking be better. Oh, and so Honorable Judge Louis Preston, she's the curly-haired, red-headed woman, and she's like... 
Lois, Lois, Lois. Honorable Judge Lois Preston, she has red curly hair, and she goes, great news, let's free this woman, and she hugs the daughter, um, and everything's good. I mean, this 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 courtroom happened fast. Yeah. Basically, Becky's free, she gets to hug her daughter, and she gets to live her fucking life. Thank God for SVU and Diane Neal. So, um, Skerritt comes to be a bitch to the women, and the women are stern and calm because they know they have all the goods, and they're right, and, uh, you know, it's like, bye, bro. So there's a sexy stare down that occurs and then there's a cell phone ring and that to me is never a good. <laughs> Anytime my cell phone rings, I'm like, oh God. They just never let anyone celebrate for too long. So Novak arrives to a crime scene and it's Alexis and she's dead and Karen, the mother, was the only person home. So she basically took her child home from the hospital and killed her at home. So awful. Stabler is with her and is like, what did you do? Did you miss us? You didn't have to kill her. You had the perfect out. You could have put her in a nursing home forever and never have to think about her again. Why would you decline that to take her home and murder her? Psychopath. So Stabler's like, I'm just trying to understand. Like, what, what, what the fuck? What the fuck? And the defense attorney is like, I'm sorry, the kid had issues and brain damage. Like, the kid died on her own. You can't charge her for the same crime twice. And Benson walks in and goes, no, 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 no. It's two separate acts. And so she has um, the, the groundbreaking evidence that we need. And it's basically that Alexis was suffocated. So poisoning had nothing to do with her death so that there is no double jeopardy at play. And we can charge this bitch for murder. And I love when a defense attorney knows that they're fucked. Like, I do really enjoy that when they make a face of like, oh, okay. So we need to make a deal quick. Um, So that's what's happening. So the murder mom, Karen, is like crying, but she's saying nothing. And Stabler's like, what? You have nothing to say? And she musters out that she didn't want to bring her home, but her husband insisted. And she wouldn't stop crying. And I just wanted her to be quiet. So Stabler's like, yeah, So you killed her? And then she drops a bomb and goes, it's not my fault. The judge said I should do it. It was his idea. I didn't want to do it. So Judge Taft said Alexis was too sick and that she has other kids to think about and we'd all be better off if Alexis just died. And he said this right before court, before she testified. So obviously he's breaking tons of court rules. He told this woman to murder her child. But on top of all this, he's been a judge for decades. So, and this is what I think about with race and gender and all everything constantly where it's like, you know, it is everywhere because it's all these people that have real jobs that have real effects on people. And there's just like bad people as judges, teachers, cops, you know, working at the couch store, you know, everywhere furniture. I don't know if there's just a couch store, but Jennifer Convertibles. (laughs) I know there's mattress stores. All right. So Cragen is like, wait, did I hear what I think I heard? That nutcase thinks the judge told her to do it. And Benson's like, maybe it's a way to get off. But Stabler's like, why are you talking alone with a defendant anyways? Like, what's going on? And we need to get to the bottom of it. So Ex parte. (laughs) I love the term ex parte. I love that term. Could we use it in regular life or is it only legal? I think it's only legal. Like we, I mean, you know, I like. I guess you could be like, maybe next time we want to talk about Rosie, we'll just be like, let's go talk. We have an ex parte conversation over here. I don't. I don't need her hearing this. (laughs) We'll go in a breakout room without Hannah and be like, ex parte (laughs) (laughs) on Zoom. (laughs) So. 
Novak's like, we got to get the bastard and right on time in SVU magic, all, you know, Oliver comes out, Oliver Taft, Mr. Skerritt. And he goes, listen, I had no knowledge of this. If I knew that she had any intention of killing anybody as an officer of the court, I would obviously say something. I was just trying to comfort this crying, hysterical woman. And I just told her like, hey, maybe you should see a shrink. And that's like, ding, 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 ding. Novak's like, excuse me. You told her to get psychiatric help, book her and go get Taft on criminal facilitation too. Um, He told her to get help, which means he knew the poisoning was no accident and she could try it again with one of the other kids. And so, wow. Acquitting her gave her the means to do it. So him letting her go home gave her the opportunity to kill a child and he knew she was unwell and that is why he offered and he suggested that she should go to a shrink. So now another favorite SVU trope. They're at a fancy party and they're going to arrest the judge at a black tie party in his own home. In his home. Um, So Stabler grabs um, an appetizer and it's a phyllo dough looking stuffed thing that looks delicious. I love, you know, I love, God, is that going to be around post-COVID? Are we going to be able to snack on trays or what? I know. There better be canapes after COVID. I need them. So, um, you know, he's at the party and he's like, listen, get out of my house. And Stabler goes, honey, Alexis is dead and you knew Karen was a danger and you let her go. And uh, the judge says, this is absurd. And Stabler says, you know, we can't arrest you in your own home. So why don't you just go outside and not make a scene? And he does know the law. So he leaves. And Stabler goes, you're going to look real pretty for your mugshot, sweetie. Um, Because he's in a suit. Wait, why can't they arrest him in his own home? You know, that's a rule. That you have to step out? Yeah, or side. unless you have like a... Pay, yeah, you have to be outside to be arrested. That's why, remember in the episode Damaged, you know, they they trick him out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's, I just... Yeah, I think I thought they had a warrant. Well, or unless they invite you in, but no one invited Stabler in. But you're right, why wouldn't they have a warrant? They He did do right. wrongdoing. I think they just, just the threat of making the scene they knew would be enough to get him to come with them. So now we're in court and it's Taft versus Novak, pay-per-view fight. (laughs) So the judge on the bench is like um, kind of a, he's on Taft's side and he goes, you're making a mockery of the court and I'm throwing this out and Taft looks really uh, satisfied. Um, So charges are dismissed and the judge scolds Casey and puts her in her place. So she lost this battle, but not the overall journey. What is the thing? The war. Not the the war. war. Yeah. So we're going to keep going. So charges dismissed and the judge is like pissed at Casey for like, you know, going against the courts and the rules. But Marlo Thomas comes in with some good news and says, hey, girl, at least now we have a great witness for Karen's murder trial. So we'll get justice at the trial. So going head to head with the judge didn't work, but now they can use him as a witness and hopefully manipulate the situation to uncover all the truths um, at Karen's murder trial of her child that she strangled to death. JK suffocated with a pillow. Same difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we cut to Novak and she's questioning Taft, who's on the stand for Karen's murder trial. And Taft is going down. He admits to having this combo. He says, sorry, I let my empathy rule over my intellect. We were on an elevator. She was crying and upset at her daughter's condition. And I ruled she was innocent because you didn't provide the right amount of evidence to my liking, lady. And your skirt wasn't cute. JK. (laughs) He did not say that. And so Stabler's in the crowd and he's watching this all go down. He's eating popcorn. He's in it. And it's like, hold up. Did you ever think that maybe Karen was responsible for the crime and the daughter's condition? And he's like, that's irrelevant. She's like, no, it's not. We have to know your frame of mind when talking to this crying woman. 
And the judge on the bench allows this question, which makes Taft upset. And Casey's like, you felt sorry for her before the trial was done. So you had opinions about her before all the evidence was out. Just admit it, dude. You've gotten got. Like, you're you're done. Yeah. And finally, he's like, it was a mistake. Um, it's so good. Um, uh, is that what you want me to say? That was a mistake. And it's like, yes, that's what we've been wanting. We've honestly, we we didn't have to go to court if you just admitted you were wrong. And he goes, what? One mistake? I've been on the bench for three decades. And she goes, one mistake? Are you kidding me? What about your girl, Rosalind? And Casey is hammering him hard and Taft is standing up and trying to object or stop it. But it's like, you have no standing here. You're in a little box and you're a witness. Answer the questions. He's losing it. And it's like, why talk to her? Why talk to a woman who murdered her baby? And he says, I didn't know. And she goes, didn't know what? And he yells, I thought they were good people. And the gavel hits and they stare each other down. And and it's incredible. Give this man an Emmy. Um, and he makes a face that is like the whole world is crashing down around him and he knows it and he knows he deserves it. And they find the defendant guilty. Go to jail, you child murderer. And Scarrett stands up really slowly from the audience section. So, so slowly. And he's hounded by press and the press is chasing him down. And we find out he's been demoted to, down to civil court, not fired, just, but demoted down to civil court. And Stabler and Novak stand very smug as Scarrett walks briskly through the paparazzi. Ooh, you love to see it. You just love to see an old white man get his fucking ass got. It's so satisfying. Yeah, it's like cosplay, porn, erotica. It's like perfect um, television. Because you think it's over when that other judge is like, this is a mockery. You're free to go. Scare it. Like, you know, you think it's over. But it ain't over. And now I'm scared. Like, is the true crime baby killing? Is it judge killing? Is it all of it? Is it, you know, like, yeah. Ah, well, as soon as we sell you a couple things, you're going to find out. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, this case is, for, well, first of all, I want to say, I'm surprised you didn't touch on it, Lisa, but 
Novak's hair is wild in this episode. It's like red with blonde highlights. Like it's so, there's like patchy blonde highlights in the red. It's really crazy. So it, I don't know if you noticed, but. I didn't. Woo. I was too distracted by her fierceness, uh, but. It was in one scene outside. So maybe it was the natural light when she was talking to the lawyer from the Rosalind case. I was like, yeah, what's going on with this hair here, girl? But they were obviously in between transitioning her over to full blonde, which comes later. But um, this case that this episode is based on is truly wild and it's a lot of similarities. So let me just get right into it. Basically, this is about Patricia Patty Stallings, who in 1986 was working at a 7-Eleven in St. Louis, Missouri, when she met David Stallings, a plate engraver. They got married in 1988, and in 1989, they had a son named Ryan. Now, Ryan, he wasn't very well. He couldn't hold down formula. And what I read was that he soon began vomiting once a week. And I'm like, once a week? My child was vomiting once a day, if not twice. And I was not taking him to a doctor. I was just told that that was normal. So anyway, I was getting turbo barfed on every day. So I don't know what this once a week shit is. But basically they said, we kind of got used to it. He looked very normal. So then on July 7th, when Ryan was three months old, this is July 7th of 1989, Ryan is three months old. Patty finds him in his crib, staring at the ceiling, heavy breathing. His lips are shut tight, it says. So he's something's up. He's not, he's struggling. So she brings him panicked to Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital where he's put on a respirator. For three days, Patty and David are like waiting and the doctors are trying to figure out what's going on. And then a lot of like what happened in Rosalind's case, because really this case is based on what happened to Rosalind. After the three days, the detectives start questioning them. Like, what's up with you guys? And asking them a bunch of pointed questions. And that's when they realize that they're suspects in this crime. Because doctors had found ethylene glycol, which is an active ingredient in antifreeze, the same thing they found in Rosalind's baby, Christine. Uh, They had found that in Ryan's blood. And the police were sure that the Stallings had poisoned Ryan with antifreeze. So they questioned them super aggressively. They even tried to turn them against each other. Like they told David that Patty had failed her lie detector test, which was not true to make him try to doubt his wife. Like what? Like he said he even for a second was like, wait a minute, she did. And then he was like, never mind. That's this is she did not hurt our child. But also everyone should know lie detector tests are not reliable by now, but I don't know. Maybe in the 80s, people thought they were more real. Anyway. After 12 days in the hospital, the Missouri Division of Family Services took custody of Ryan and placed him in a foster home. So now David and Patty can only see their son Ryan for one hour a week while supervised by a social worker, and they're not allowed to bring him anything to eat, nothing edible. So this goes on for all of July and August, and then during a visit on August 31st, my birthday, Patty was, oh, happy birthday, Lisa. (laughs) August 31st of 89, so you were just a tiny baby, and, um... They briefly leave Ryan alone with Patty and she does give him a bottle of formula that was prepared by the foster mother. And with others present, she fed him the bottle. Like, I guess it's written both places that she was briefly left alone, but then also people were there when she gave him the bottle. Um, Four days later, Ryan was again hospitalized in critical condition at Cardinal Glennon. And they thought that she poisoned him during this tiny supervised visit. And so she was arrested and jailed on a charge of assault leaving David alone to keep the vigil at Ryan's bedside. On September 7th, a week later, after being baptized and given his last rites, Ryan died in his father's arms while his mother was in jail. And Patty was then charged with first-degree murder. Crazy. The timing with this bottle is fucked. Yeah, yeah. 
So while she was waiting for her trial for three months, she found out that she was pregnant again, much like Rosalind Silvo. She was pregnant when she went into jail. So now she finds out she's, um, you know, three or four months pregnant. Her son DJ was born in February of 1990, a month premature, and was immediately put into a foster home. And within two weeks, it was discovered that DJ had been rushed to the hospital with, you guessed it, vomiting, heavy breathing, et cetera. And he was diagnosed with methylmalonic acidemia, MMA, which is a rare genetic disorder in which the body does not break down proteins properly. The Stallings thought Ryan must have had the same disease and so did their attorney, Eric Rathbone. But during her three-day trial, which happened in 1991, after they already know that DJ has this MMA, the similarity between Ryan and DJ's illnesses were never introduced into court because Rathbone failed to secure an expert medical witness. What? I don't know why. Later, it was ruled that she received inadequate counsel. So I guess that was a, a later thing that happened. But at the time, it was like that was never introduced. The prosecutor was this guy named George McElroy. He had police and social workers all testify that Patty didn't show emotion when she found out Ryan was dead, which is a thing they always use against women. You know how I went to college with this girl whose husband uh, disappeared on their honeymoon cruise? He was killed. Um, I did this as my hometown murder on my favorite murder, like episode like 15 or something. Literally, this girl got dragged through the mud because she wasn't running around wringing her hands and crying to the sky. Like, I think people deal with trauma in different ways and you don't have to like be having in a full breakdown mode to be innocent of a crime. And like that, women get that a lot, not being not being the perfect victim, not acting the correct way. And we learned this with the Colleen Stan case where it's like, if you're too hysterical with the police, they might not believe you. But then if you're too composed, you're not emotional enough and they don't believe you. So, right. so it's like, there's no winning. Yeah, so it's like, oh God. So anyway, poor Patty gets testified against by police and social workers that she wasn't, you know, sad enough when she found out her son had died, probably because she was like, what the fuck is happening? I didn't do anything. Um, investigators produced one bottle of antifreeze from the Stallings home as evidence, whereas I feel like every home in America has a bottle of antifreeze in it, so that, that doesn't seem like evidence to me. But McElroy said nothing could explain the ethylene glycol found in Ryan. It took the jury only 10 hours to find Patty guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to life without parole. So then... The chairman of biochemistry at St. Louis University, his name is William Sly, cool name, sees this case on unsolved motherfucking mysteries. That is how he finds out about this. And he sees it and goes, this kid had MMA probably. He suspected Ryan might have had MMA just like his brother. And he contacts James Shoemaker, who is the director of the same university's metabolic screening lab. After testing frozen samples of Ryan's blood serum, Shoemaker found evidence that Ryan did have MMA. And original lab reports finding lethal concentrations of ethylene glycol in Ryan's blood were incorrect and based on faulty data. So they told their findings to McElroy, who asked them to find an expert in MMA. So they go and they find uh, Dr. Piero Ronaldo, an assistant professor of genetics at Yale, who studied this case for six weeks, and his own tests discovered that Ryan died of MMA and that the scientific findings used to convict Patty were grossly inaccurate. Ronaldo said, 
Technically speaking, I've never seen such lousy work. It was a classic case of misdiagnosis. So after Dr. Ronaldo gave McElroy a determination, McElroy, in a move, which is actually wild, I feel like evil prosecutors are all over the place, he actually asked a county circuit judge to dismiss the murder charge. So after serving 14 months in prison, Patty is released, which in the show, it's 10 years. So thankfully, in real life, it was only 14 months. But Patty was released um, in July of 1991, pending a new trial. And two months later in September, they completely dropped the case against her and apologized. They said, quote, um, McElroy said, we can't undo the suffering the Stallings have endured during this ordeal, and I apologize. I hope their lives will be happier and fuller in the future. Fucked up. Stallings said that she lost a lot of weight due to the stress of being imprisoned, but that her Buddhist faith helped her to keep strong during that time. She sued the hospital and laboratories that were involved in Ryan's care and reached an out-of-court settlement, which I read was several million dollars. And extremely graceful, much like you were pointing out about Becky in the episode, like she was very chill. She wasn't like super pissed or anything. This woman said, I have never really been angry. I am more damaged. So the Stallings were reunited with DJ. And um, given his MMA, colds and flus could be really life-threatening to DJ. So they had to really carefully like live with DJ. And they said, we're moving cautiously forward. We don't want to make plans. Life is too short. And Patty later said, I thought this was interesting. Patty later said that she thought her case might have been influenced by the case of Paula Sims, who was a woman convicted in the same time period, like in these exact same years of killing her infant daughters in Illinois. And this woman, Paula, had killed, like, I believe her first baby was like eight, 18 months and then the other one was only six weeks and she like killed them both separately she later said it said she had like postpartum psychosis and that the husband didn't want these babies and that's why she killed them. And so it was like really fucked up. But um she's in jail for life. Um anyway, their life of the, the lives of the Stallings do not go well, unsurprisingly. Trauma, as we've talked about many times, informs every moment of people's lives. Um, sadly, DJ, the brother, died in 2013 at the age of 23. I literally scoured everywhere and I could not find out where how he died, but he did die at age 23. Um, Patty and David got divorced, and then David died after remarrying and having more children with um, uh, subsequent wives. He died in 2019 after a long illness. I could not find a single thing about what Patricia is up to these days. Like, there is nothing recent about how she is. But I was on the Unsolved Mysteries website, and there was a full article about this. And then in the comments below, there was like a lot of conversation happening in the comments. Someone on the forum claiming to be Maura Stallings, who is one of David's daughters from a previous, a subsequent marriage, was responding to comments on this. Again, that this is unverified, but she was speaking as if she was the daughter of David Stallings. And someone responded, someone asked like, oh, like, is it true DJ died? And she said, yes, he was my brother and I was eight years old and my dad died last year. None of us have heard from her in probably over 20 years, meaning Patty. So I think what happened was she left DJ with her ex-husband and she just fully disappeared. So like no one knows what's up with Patricia Stallings. I did like a pretty thorough search. I found obituaries for women that are not her named Patty Stallings. And it's just... Like, I think maybe she was just too traumatized by what happened and, like, couldn't be. But DJ grew up with his father and step-siblings until he passed. Wow. And I have no idea what's up with Patricia or Patty Stallings, but I hope she's 
doing okay. Yeah. And that's the story. <sighs> okay. Thank you. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. It sucks. And what's this disease? And oh, God. Well, it's like you said, like nowadays there's technology that this doesn't happen anymore. Now the testing is more decisive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I hope this won't happen again to some poor mom who's just like has a kid with a rare disorder. Anyway. Thank you for doing that. I can't wait for our guest. You guys are going to be excited. I know. It's too much. I am so very personally obsessed with today's guest because I have just seen him in so many things. I've been obsessed with him when he was in a show called Picket Fences. Also, he's Shelby's father in Steel Magnolias, one of my favorite movies of all time. He's been in more than 40 movies and over 200 television shows. You guys, he is just so prolific and such a wise man, and we were so lucky to talk to him. Please check out our conversation with Judge Oliver Taft, a.k.a. Tom Skerritt. So you live in the Pacific Northwest or Seattle area or? Yeah, Seattle. We wanted to ask you what made you, did you used to live in LA and just decided that wasn't for you or New York and decided that you wanted to be sort of in No, just New York I could have handled. I went to UCLA and, and wanted to be a writer and wound up acting only because I want to know what it felt like to act. That's because you've got to feel this stuff out. You can't explain it. You can't learn it any other way other than sticking your foot into a pile of mud. <laughs> to know what it is. And uh, some aspects of Los Angeles were not what really made me comfortable. So I had to get up here because everywhere I look is, is just uh, creative input. And to live in that kind of a place where you have trees and water and eagles flying around and being able to look at someone's dock and they've got a, an otter has climbed up there. And, you know, all this variety of stuff that feeds the imagination in a way that creatives need to have a frame of reference. And there's a larger frame of reference here than there is in Seattle and Los Angeles. Well, we'll start with the SVU episode. Um, one of our top favorites. You play one of the biggest villains, I would say, in SVU <laughs> history. Really? Um, yeah, he boils our blood. I mean, he told, you know, Casey to wear a skirt. That really uh, bothered us. <laughs> but... Um, did you draw from any real life inspiration? How'd you come up with this guy? You know, your whole life informs you. And uh, I don't think you predetermine when you're being hired to play an actor, a play a character, that you really know how you're going to do it. And I don't analyze this stuff. And the minute you start thinking about how you're going to do it, you're in trouble. You have to wear a suit that just sort of fits from all the other scum. And if it's playing a bad guy, that you have personalities that you really found annoying that you did not want to be around is sort of what you find in some way in the language that you're reading and the, the, the dialogue that you're given. And you don't paint an image, you just do what you do, uh, which seems to be a reflection of some other character that you spent some time with and you did not want to be with them. <laughs> so we'll say yes uh, there's a specific <laughs> person in mind <laughs> oh yeah uh, no short answers from this guy yeah <laughs> we talked to some actors and they were saying that you have to like be 
empathetic to your character to be able to play him and, or her and like be able to truly understand them? Or can you hate your character and still play them? Or do you really have to understand them? I don't know about all that stuff. All I know is that just <laughs> the minute you have to analyze it, the minute you start thinking you got a problem. So how I got there, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I know he's the mirror of bad behavior that I've seen in other people and politicians in particular. Uh, you yeah. just know this is just extraordinary for this person to say that I'm behaving that way and then know what they really like and uh, what they, the, the ill use of important positions such as a judge or a politician uh, is, is uh, usually from men, if I may say this for the ladies, we're driven by ego. And you guys know about community. And this is with that character. I know the ego of men and uh, have grown out of that a long time ago and find that it's more interesting to listen to what other people have to say about anything. You know, I'm, in fact, that's right. I see right now and I'd rather hear you guys talk. <laughs> I was wondering if you've always been so chill and always been able to enjoy the process and your career, or does that come with experience? Uh, I think that comes with experience. And, and you, you probably know that I'm, I'm a lucky man. I, I, I mentored with guys that were not famous, and they were all filmmakers. Robert Altman, Hal Ashby, Ridley Scott, uh, Herb Ross. I did two films with him once. Steel Magnolias and the Ballet Turning Point, back, which was a great ballet movie. Both of them had, you know, knowledge with Academy Awards and all of that. You know, these are good filmmakers. And these were just guys I got to know who I'd listen to and are talking to an AD or an actor or whatever. You learn from listening and, and see the patterns that the actors may fail at or exceed. No, and the scenes with you and Diane Neal, um, who plays Casey Novak, were so good. You guys had such awesome, icy interactions. Was that? Do you remember working with her that day, or any memories? Well, I, honestly, I, I have done so much. Yes, <laughs> I remember the people, but I don't necessarily remember the interplay. The interplay is like. You know, warming a fire, and you got the fire going. The fire burns out, you know, in the end. So it's the fire and what you're doing, and and the creative process does not linger in a conscious way. It may be something you draw on subconsciously when you need it as an artist, whatever whatever the medium may be. Because I paint, do a hundred other things creatively, so I can't keep all that in my head of specific memories of. Other than laughing a lot when I made Mash the movie a long time ago, I, I've never had more fun in my life in, in, an, in a, a whole production of a film. But I remember playing this icy character, this not somebody I particularly want to be friends with, who not would not want to be friends with me either. This judge, you know, I just oh my god. Yeah, you had to be pretty harsh with a little girl too. You had to, uh, I don't know if you remember your interplay, but you had a you had a little scene with a little girl you were. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm I always kind of have to qualify. I don't want to scare them. I, yeah. it's, not worth it. it's just saying, honey, how you doing? And I'm Tom, I'm gonna be I can I pretend to be a mean guy to you? And they just look at me like, what am I talking about? <laughs> but no, if I go, boo, does that scare you? No. 
I'm out of here. Let's go back. That's that I'm it's all pretend. And they kind of get it as much as they possibly can. And you've done so many roles and and played so many different kinds of characters. But if you were to come back to SVU, let's just imagine they're bringing you back. What kind of part would you love to play? Oh, one that doesn't offend me. <laughs> All right. And it's just um, amazing to see someone be able to do something that they love and and do it so well for as long as you have. And your newest role um, in East of the Mountains, getting a lot of positive attention. Was that an enjoyable experience? We can't wait to watch it. Yeah, you all should, if you haven't seen it, it's a, a very engaging film. It's very simple, straightforward. We can't wait. So what? What? what's your, um, do you have anything uh, acting-wise that's like coming up for you? Like after, now East of the Mountains is out or is there something you're working on coming up or... Well, I did something recently over there with a friend who runs a company called North by Northwest. It's over in Spokane. And Sony came in and asked him with his company to do a a a six-series thing on their streaming channel. So a lot of what we're talking about is a new industry, which is streaming. Mm. It's our inexpensive film, so all these big wages that have been going out over period of years and nine-digit budget films and so on and so forth are they're not going to exist in the years to come they have to bring everything down quite a bit so budgets everything has to come back to reality so this guy and i have put together different communities in idaho too boise little places are doing low budget stuff to put on streaming channels so we're building a company to do that uh to uh, do interesting stuff. That's cool. Yeah, guys like David Goodison who wrote Snow Falling on Cedars and East of the Mountains is a friend. We did this thing because seven, six years ago it was we were having coffee or whatever it was, and he says, "She if I ever do East of the Mountains, I'd like you to play this guy." And I thought that'd be wonderful, but we have to do it up here, and we have to utilize it as a positive as an example of what we can do here in this community actually our producer hannah who you met at the beginning that that's her uncle who wrote east of the mountains yeah david's my uncle my mom is mary gooderson and david is i grew up on bainbridge island with him oh wonderful i hope you have get over there and see them. I haven't seen them since COVID. Well, I saw, I watched East of the Mountains this week. It was phenomenal. You were unbelievable. And if you go to page 82 of the book, I am on it. It says Hannah Crichton. I made him put me in a book. So we're both in East of the Mountains, just so you know. (laughs) It was great. You were unbelievable. Truly. Good for us. Yeah. Good for us. Well, that was a nice, nice experience of just getting your head down and being who you are in that film. Being who you are, being that who that is. That was cool. Wow. I want to be with it. You know what? We've had back-to-back guests that are like in their 80s and crushing it at life and working. And it's really, it's beautiful and impressive to see, you know? Yeah. When you follow your passion, it keeps you young, keeps you thriving, yeah. keeps you wanting more. And the wisdom more. of age. You don't need to be where you don't want to be. You got to go where you feel like the creative juices are flowing. It's good. Yeah. Um, 
What's the postmortem on this episode? What did we learn? That judges are assholes too? That judges should not be lifetime appointments. They should not be appointed by the president. We should be voting them all in. What the fuck is going on? These people are not immune to shit. And um, we need to do a deep dive into the, the the country's judges. And I don't know how to. It's, I don't, but like, it needs to be a full-blown audit. I know for last time when I was voting, I like went through all the judges and there was horrific, insane stuff going on with them. And it's like, yeah, um, it's hard. They, you have to be so vigilant and on top of it, it's like a full-time job to change the world. And that's how they keep us so fucking busy. Like, and so self-focused that we're not doing this stuff, but it is just scary. And to think about all the kids and people that are in jail unfairly, it's scary. I guess my takeaway is like, it's fucking scary if you're not a rich white person in this country. Yeah, judges have too much power. And uh, also, apparently a lot of them have um, affinities for white moms that will still kill their kids. Uh, although I will say in the real case, it was nice to see that there was like a prosecutor that did the right thing and was like, we got to dismiss this. We fucked up, you know? Yeah, but if that guy didn't watch Unsolved Mysteries, she would still yes. be rotting in jail. And thank God that Unsolved Mysteries, thank God the media kind of has a little bit of power sometimes where it can get the word out to people and that her story was discovered by these experts, you know? Yeah, it's, and then also like, conclude, thank God, you know, thank, I'm thankful for science and that there's research in, um, and so now hopefully people are not being falsely convicted for poisoning their children when they're not being poisoned. Yeah. And maybe we can cure this weird protein disease. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so that's, uh, pretty sad. Also, I'm learning that maybe DAs are fully hopped up on Coke and speed and writing reports at all times. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I mean, we do a lot of research, so I am typing a lot, but like having to, I just can't imagine the amount of documents. I guess I learned how many documents lawyers work with. Uh, yeah. It's more than I thought. It's not great. A lot of motions. A lot of motions, a lot of thick paperwork files that look like the QED report. And also, I didn't know that you can waive a jury. I didn't know either. Kyle Rittenhouse should have done that. You can just be like, I put it in the judge's hands. I didn't know you could do that. I wonder like why people would choose to do that. I think that you might do that maybe in a case that was really publicized where you feel like everybody's biased against you. And like maybe the judge will like really consider the facts of the case. Well, this is another thing with the judges. It's like you assume these judges are always lean conservative. Like, who wants to be a judge? Not a cool person, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, do cool-ass bros that have some, like, beers on a boat on the weekend, like, are, do they want to be judges? You're literally describing Judge Kavanaugh, like, talking about having beers with his homies and, <laughs> and his fucking Supreme Court thing. <laughs> Oh my God, LOL. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's a, he's a rapist to me before he's a judge. Yeah, that's true. That's his headline. And I think we learned, as usual, do not fuck with Casey Novak. She will yes. fucking come for you, even if you're a judge. Yeah. Damn, I don't know. It's just like bleak, dude. I'm not. <laughs> and it's winter, you know, it's like, it's winter blues. It's winter blues. It's the, I yeah, I don't know. Why don't we split up the holidays? It's kind of annoying. They're all squished together. Yeah, they're squished together. And then like January, February, March is like a, just a long slog of nothing to look forward to. Like St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> 
I love Valentine's Day, though. I mean, okay. I do. I like... Um, I like conversation hearts. <laughs> yeah. I like the candy. I like the color scheme. Uh, <laughs> I love hearts. I mean, I have so many hearts tattooed on me. It's like a... True. It is a yeah. thing I enjoy aesthetically. I've only... Uh, yeah. Whatever. Let's get going. What are we doing next week? Let's get going. <laughs> this week's What Would Sister Peg Do is our weekly segment where we direct you guys towards organizations, articles, books, some kind of resource that will help you better understand what we touched on today. In light of uh, the case of Patty Patricia Stallings that we talked about today, we would like to highlight this week the Innocence Project, which is www.innocenceproject.org. Um they try to bring reform to the system that is responsible for unjust imprisonment. And we all know that that's very important, especially now with hundreds of thousands of people probably in jail for wrong uh, reasons. On their website, there are ways to get involved, like donating, starting fundraisers, signing petitions, inviting exonerees to speak. What an uh, what a inspiring idea to come to your next, like, Zoom Christmas party or something. Have somebody that's been exonerated come speak. Uh, and you can find your local organization and uh, sign up for volunteer opportunities. So check out innocenceproject.org. All right. And um, a quick reminder, it is Britney Spears's birthday on December 2nd, um, this Thursday. So if you guys want to celebrate her birthday. Um, and then next week, we have a fun celebration. It's our one-year anniversary episode. <laughs> no, that was not a sound effect button. That was my mouth. Um, we're doing a big one, guys. I think you're going to be excited. We're watching Pure, Season 6, Episode 18. Get into it. Peacock, Hulu, um, your local library. And we will see you next week for our one-year anniversary. Yay. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs>